This is Kevin Lavelle, and you're listening to Founders 15. You know what the world needs? Another business podcast. Well, actually, maybe it does. See, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which were truly great. I learned a lot and had takeaways that changed my business or personal life. But I often noticed there was no commonality between the interviews as they were wide-ranging, so it was harder to tease out themes between them. I launched Mizzen in Maine to bring advanced performance fabrics to traditional menswear. So just like deciding the world needed a better dress shirt when everyone said it was crazy, I decided to launch Founders 15. Founders 15 is a unique new discussion experience, distinct in three specific ways. The conversations will be founder to founder, eliciting an enlightening back and forth of two people with an overlap rarely found in other interviews. In my position as founder of Mizzen and Maine, I've gotten to have extraordinary conversations with other founders, and I know that there are takeaways that a lot of people would benefit from. So episodes will also feature the same 15 main questions in each podcast, helping bring a continuity to these discussions with appropriate probing on key themes as they develop throughout the interview. Perhaps most distinctively, I'm focused primarily on founders building something right now, and not just the billion-dollar unicorns that get the headlines every day. These interviews feature real people building real businesses today. Business titans from years ago offer much to learn from, but my focus is on those in the heart of their journey to build something great. To keep things particularly interesting, I'll also be interviewing a few well-known athletes and coaches, founders in their own right, to gain additional insight and inspiration as to what it takes to achieve greatness. Would love to hear any feedback anytime. I'm on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I've enjoyed having them. Tom Patterson is the founder of Tommy John, an underwear and undershirt company that started by addressing the chronic problem of men's undershirts coming untucked. It has evolved into one that sells underwear and more for men and women. They are carried in over 1,000 points of retail and are a team of 85 people based in New York. Tom also has the privilege and pleasure of working with his wife. Tom used his skills as a cold-calling salesman to get his early product into Neiman Marcus, which really helped cement the trajectory and future of the company. Several years ago, his team discovered actor and comedic superstar Kevin Hart was wearing their product organically and turned it into an incredibly fruitful and productive relationship for both parties, one atypical for the endorsement world. I really loved hearing about Tommy John's core values, which include It's Not Me, It's We, and GSD 2.0, or Get Shit Done 2.0, as an evolution reflecting their company's growth from the original GSD attitude because they had grown up. We discussed the wave of entrepreneurship and how founders need to be able to be a quarterback at one point, an ice skater at another, and then learn how to be both left and right-handed. Founders really do have to do it all. And in case you're curious, Tom doesn't want Tommy John to be the next Ralph Lauren or the next Nike. He wants them to be the first Tommy John. Check them out at tommyjohn.com or say hello to Tom on Instagram at T-J-P-A-T-T-E. Enjoy. Hey, Tom, so glad to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, let's give listeners a little bit of context about your background. Sure. So Tommy John is a comfort-focused brand that solves the age-old problems men and women have with their everyday products, from underwear that doesn't ride up your legs, to undershirts that don't come untucked, to loungewear, socks, t-shirts, 
and a few other categories. Um, my background is I'm a former medical device salesman that was frustrated with my undershirts and invented a concept with an undershirt that stayed tucked in through movement, which led to underwear, which led to you know bringing the company from California to New York City. So we started in 2008. We just turned 10 years old in April. We're a team of 85 people here in the financial district of New York City. Um, we're in about a thousand points of retail with wholesale partners like Nordstrom and Men's Warehouse and Men's Specialty Stores. We just opened up our second retail store in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I'm fortunate enough to work with my incredibly talented wife and co-founder, Erin. Um, we're blessed with two beautiful, very, very high energy kids, uh, Violet and Duke. How old are your kids? Uh, Violet's three and a half and Duke is a year and a half. So we're, we're, um, we're right, right behind each other. My, my son is almost two and I'll have a daughter due in December. So they will be two years apart as well. And, uh, I smile tremendously at the high energy cause, um, my son seems to somehow have more energy each day and it is, it is truly remarkable. Yeah, I don't, we hardly give our kids any sugar too. And I can't imagine what it would be like if we did. So. <laughs> We've tried to uh, give him, you know, kind of some random fun treats from time to time, but he really actually doesn't like it. Um, he loves fruit, but um, he does not do any of the other sugars. And again, I am horrified to imagine what it would be like if he was, if he was high on the sugar. <laughs> well, I, I know what you'll be going through shortly. So, <laughs> I can't, uh, can't wait. Cannot wait. Um, so, uh, super helpful background. Um, and I knew you guys were, were flying, but man, 85 people, that's, that's amazing. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, tell me a, bit, a little bit about the launch story. And I know you've talked in the past and, and shared your story overall, but, um, I, I like to go a little bit deeper on what was it like when you said, here's the idea to when I had my first prototype and then from your first prototype to I'm going to launch a company. Can you talk a little bit about the that time gap in between those moments and what caused you to move forward in between those critical junctures of what is now your entrepreneurial success story? Yeah, of course. In 2007, my wife had started an organic website selling different types of organic products. And I had observed her building the site, buying the products from distributors, putting it up on the site. And it kind of sparked my idea of what can I do? What's my idea going to be? And around that time in 2007, there was a show called The Big Idea on MSNBC with Donnie Deutsch, which was basically the modern day version of Shark Tank. And a lot of entrepreneurs and inventors would come on the show and they all created a product out of frustration that they had with what existed on the market and, and thought maybe there's a better way to make it. So every day for about four or five months, I wake up every morning thinking, looking around, what can I make different? And I've watched the show every night. And I was living in San Diego at the time, and I got out of my car going into a hospital. I'm a former medical device salesman. I was going to do a presentation to a group of doctors. And at the time, I was buying dress shirts off the rack and taking them to a tailor and having them tailored to fit me better and kind of, um, tailoring my suits as well. And I get out of my car and everything's tucked in great, but my undershirt's bunched up to my belly button. And I'm just like, why doesn't anyone make an undershirt that's longer, it's tapered, it doesn't come untucked, and it gives me that streamlined um, appearance under my outerwear? So after the meeting, I went to some department stores in San Diego, and I, all, I found this common theme with the undershirts, that, that they were all designed to 
before fitting for a UPS box. They were the same width at the bottom as they were in the chest. And you wash them, they shrink a half size or a size really quickly. And they almost turned into this category I would buy every month or two because they would just wear out so quickly. So we drove up to the garment district in downtown Los Angeles and bought some fabric, took it to a tailor at a dry cleaners where I was living at the time and had some prototypes made just to see if the idea worked. You know, it's a hundred dollars. There's really nothing to lose and everything to gain. And the shirt did every, the undershirt did everything I wanted it to do in what I envisioned the ultimate undershirt doing. So I then sent it to 10 other guys, friends of mine who I knew would give me honest feedback, the type of guys that would say, Tom, this is a great idea or dude, no, save your money. This is a really <laughs> bad idea. And about a week later, most of them called back and they said, if you ever make more of these, I'll buy them from you. So I went back up to downtown Los Angeles. Um, this is probably early, early 2008 and made 200 shirts. Two months later, uh, built a two-page PayPal checkout website, and Tommy John was launched officially in April 2008. And so was it that feedback from your friends that solved it for you, or was there someone in particular that really just said their feedback or what they had said to you as a customer made you want to jump on it? No, I think the feedback from them certainly gave me the confidence to, <clears throat> to invest more of my time into it. So from there, what I did, because I felt it was a need that no one else was really <clears throat> meeting in the, in the market as far as men's undershirts are concerned. So I still continued doing my full-time sales job. And then in early 2000, in late 2008, around September, I was laid off my medical sales job. And this is right before the financial crisis happened, the housing market crashed, the retail recession followed. And I read this article that there's the newspaper that there's no better time to start a business than during a recession. And I just thought to myself, I've got a product that everyone needs. Yep. They just don't know they need it yet until they try it on. So I said, I don't want to be this coulda, woulda, shoulda guy and just have regrets 20 years from now thinking I had this idea. I was single. I wasn't, I wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids. I didn't own a home. I didn't have a lot of financial responsibilities. Yep. I decided, you know, worst thing, I lose all my money. I can always go back and find a job. I was successful in sales. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I want, really want to find something I'm more passionate about. So I cash up my 401k savings, use my friends at American Express Visa and MasterCard <laughs> and finance, finance the business and really bootstrapped it. And in April of 2009, I was in your neck of the woods in Dallas and I was able to get a meeting with the buyer at Nima Marcus. He said, look, I have a product you need in every one of your stores. Give me 10 minutes to talk to you. And you know, sold her on the, the idea and concept. And we launched into 15 in the market stores in August, 2009. And it was really our big opportunity to get into retail and quickly sold through, grew into all stores. And then from there, we went to Nordstrom and, you know, grew from five to 109 stores within nine months and really haven't looked back since. So, um, for people listening and thinking they just go knock on the door at Neiman Marcus and get in, it's not that easy. So I'm definitely curious to hear how you were able to convince the buyer at Neiman Marcus to give you a shot um, as unproven as you were. And in, I mean, let's be honest, clothing is not a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's not a lot of barriers in the clothing world. So anybody can, quote unquote, anybody can make anything in clothing is what I've heard again and again about Mizzen and Maine. But um, 
clearly you have a unique product and you've got a passionate customer base. So how did you break through in a very crowded space and get one of the best retailers in the world to take you on? There's this book called the, the art of cold, the art of cold calling by Steve Schiffman. That's a book I read in my first job out of college. So my background being strategic selling, being trained how to find and reach decision makers transferred over really well from medical sales into underwear sales, which doesn't seem like a very natural transition <laughs> medical device to, to underwear you put on your body. But I was able to get her number and I called her and I knew I learned through meeting with some of the specialty stores that women didn't fully understand the concept of men's undershirts because they don't wear them. And most men don't go home at the end of the day and say, honey, I don't work today. I was in the meeting and I had to go to the bathroom, not to go to the bathroom, but just to retuck in my undershirt because it bunched up. I had to retuck it in through my pockets. Guys don't talk about this. So women at that time often didn't know the struggles that guys went to to keep their shirts tucked in. So when I got her on the phone, I said, look, I've got this great product. I'd love to come eat with you. Before I do, let me send some samples to your husband and some guys in the office so they can give you feedback. And when I went to Dallas and met with her, she said, these guys have been coming in every day since you sent those that in the sample saying how great this is. It's unlike anything they've ever worn before and you have to test them in your stores. And I was hoping for like a five store test. I shot way too low. And she said, actually, because of their feedback, we're going to launch you into 15 stores as a test. Wow. You know, and then she asked, and then she asked, you know, are you on EDI? Are you factored? And I said, uh, I'm not sure what those mean. I can get back to you on that. <laughs> So it's one of those things where you just, you, you know, not coming from this business, you don't know what you don't know, but we've always been the type of brand with mentality that we'll figure it out. Yep. And that was really kind of our shot. You know, it was our chance to break into retail and, you know, you're really, we've always treated our opportunities like you're not going to get a second chance to make the most out of every opportunity you have. Um, but a lot of it was timing and things I learned from medical sales and also through trial and error, I knew once I got our product on a guy, they wouldn't want to wear anything else. And I just needed her to get that feedback from someone she trusted. That's awesome. That's a very helpful lesson for anybody listening to this. Um, and so once you launched your first 200 shirts, now, now what? What happened next? I started going into men's specialty stores in Southern California. Uh, the first two said, no, no one's going to wear an undershirt that long. We have, a, we have another brand that we like. They didn't really understand the concept. Yep. So the third store I went into, I said, look, here's what this does. <clears throat> I'm not asking for you to carry it now. Take it on consignment. I'll come back every week. I'll train your sales team. I'll, I'll train your staff on how to sell. I'll give them each one and just pay me for what you sell. And that's really how we started getting the three, four, five, ten 10 stores. So by the time I had the meeting with the Neva Marcus buyer, we already had some sort of traction. Um, <clears throat> sell through velocities within the retail stores that we were in. So we had credibility built versus, and I think when I started out I, and I had this idea and I got feedback from my friends, I was like, all right, I'm going to go straight to the department stores. This is a huge idea. And I'm actually very happy in hindsight. It didn't happen right away because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yep. And the learnings I had that first nine months, 12 months from the type of how important packaging was, to the copy on your packaging, how you talk about the product, I wouldn't have been ready for that meeting with the name of Marcus Buyer had I had it six months before the time I did. Yep, absolutely. So um, 
you guys have come a long way today. You're, you're in over a thousand points of retail. You've got a couple stores of your own. You're not the company you were 10 years ago or even five years ago. When you look at how you've built the company to where you yeah. are today, what you're, what you do is only possible because of the culture that you build as a founder led company. It's more important than anything. Um, how do you define and defend your culture daily? That's a great question. Um, you know, so we have five cultural values, humble. It's not me. It's we curious, <clears throat> curious, you have to be adaptable. Uh, we call it GSD 2.0, get shit done in a more evolved way. Cause the, the business and the company is at a different place now than it was two or three years ago when we were at the 1.0. And the last one is being mindful, you know, treating people the way you want to be treated. So that, those core values really define the type of people that we bring in. And once we went through this exercise, you know, I heard on the podcast 2025, I think is a sweet spot. It certainly was for us. I think we were right at like 22 people when we did this exercise and really define what our cultural values are. That made it so much more clear the type of people that we wanted to bring into the company. Maybe some of the people that our company wasn't the right fit for that were here at that time. And it's something that we track towards with our, our reviews, um, leadership meetings, and it really translates into our stores now as well. So the type of people that we want representing the brand face-to-face in face-to-face interaction with our customers and being a brand that's all about comfort as well. You know, we want to have a comfortable work environment as well from an open work plant, uh, open floor plan to having things like beer and, uh, cold brew on tap, to having a meditation room, um, just different things to make it comfortable and not the traditional environment like a devil's wear, devil wears Prada that or <laughs> Zoolander that I always envision these New York city-based companies were ran like behind closed doors. You know, I'm, I'm from South Dakota and my wife's from Arizona, so we don't really have this New York mindset. We're, we're New Yorkers now, but we're transplants at the same time. So. I think we we bring a lot of values that we have in the areas that we grew up into the company. And like you mentioned earlier, the founders are still alive here. They haven't been transitioned out of the company. And I think the values um, are very different when the founders are active in the company. And my wife and I are here pretty much every day and we're very active and involved with um, things to this day. So um, when you think about getting somebody like Kevin Hart on board, how do you feel like he is an extension of the Tommy John brand, the Tommy John culture, you know, the hashtag work at Tommy John has pictures of him with some of the team events. Talk to me about that. Cause that's, that's a pretty unique thing to bring somebody like that on board. Um, and, uh, it, it always seems so easy from the outside. And as we both know, these types of negotiations with, um, very big names is, it's a big deal. So I uh, would love to hear your perspective on somebody like um, Kevin and what he does for your brand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've, you've done it as well. So, you know, you know what it's like. Um, this is a really, I, I think our story is very unique in that three or four years ago, Kevin was dancing around in a, in an Instagram video and uh, someone came up in her office and said, Tom, check it out. Kevin Hart's dancing in the video. And, and we saw the Tommy John waistband. He had his shirt off, you know, dancing, being being Kevin. And I knew someone out in L.A. that could help me get him some more product. And I just sent him three three pairs of underwear and a note that said, "Hey, I'm a huge fan. 
congrats on all your success. Hope you enjoy these. And about two years ago when he was in New York, he cold called us and said, Hey, I'm in New York. I'd love to come meet with you. Just learn more about the brand. Did he cold call your 1-800 number? (laughs) Or did he have a contact into you guys? He went through the person I went through. Okay, good. To get him the product. So he, he back, he backtracked me, but you know, I think in our space anyway, Kevin kind of thing to do at a certain point is you either hire a European soccer player or a tennis player or a professional athlete to be the face of the brand and underwear. It's been done so many times and we just didn't want to do it that way. It's just, it, it's not the way we built the brand. And I told Kevin that up front, I said, look, I'm a huge fan of you, but we're, we're not looking at raising money. We're not looking for investors. Um, we're not looking for someone like you to be the face of the brand. He said, I don't want to be the face of the brand. Um, I think I can help you guys grow faster by exposing you to a different audience of, you know, my social media followers, a hundred million social media followers and learning and speaking to Kevin about the things that he's done in Hollywood, how he built his career. We, you know, he and I had a lot in common. He didn't come from the entertainment industry. I didn't come from fashion industry. So we, we had a lot of empathy for the way we've both built our businesses, but you know, for us, the brand has these values too. As, as a brand, we try to be real and honest. We try to be ballsy. Um, <laughs> we're comfortable, but we're all, we're also no pun intended, but we have this restless, <laughs> restless energy where we're always striving to improve and do things differently. Yep. And when you look at those, you know, real ballsy, honest, comfortable, restless, Kevin really fit all those check marks with everything that he's done. Yep building his career. And he said, look, everyone thinks I'm this overnight success, but you know, it took me 18 years to be an overnight success. So after a two hour conversation, I really led it, led to him um, making an investment where he actually paid us to work with a brand. And obviously he has a meaningful equity position as a result of that, but he's just been amazing to work with. You know, we're launching our Kevin Hart 2.0 collaboration um, later this October I'm sure you've seen him talking about it, you know, on, on Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, the things he does and the way he does them, he, there's no point in putting a script together and just giving it, giving it to him to read off of it. It doesn't work. Yeah. Kevin is just one of those guys that can just think off the top, like no one I've ever seen has a work ethic and energy. Like no one I've ever seen, even my kids, <laughs> if you work by him. Maybe your son too, but it's just, he has this contagious personality where you just want to be around it. And he said, look, I don't want to be a NASCAR and have 35 brands slapped in the hood of my car. I only want to work with a small handful of brands I can really give my time and energy to. It's been, you know, very exciting. We're great to, you know, very, uh, gracious to have him on board. That's awesome. And I, I, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to link in the show notes, some of the videos he's, he's done for you. He did didn't he film something like 24 commercials for you guys in a short period of time, all unscripted or or there was a, I don't remember the backstory to it, but what he did for you guys in a short period of time was some pretty extraordinary content. Oh, that, and you know, he opened up Harpy productions to do it. And that's one of the things he said, like, look, you can use my production company to produce, produce some of your content. That's what you get through me putting my own skin in the game as an investor, because I really want to see this work. Cause I love this brand so much. We filmed 22. You can see them on YouTube, uh, 22 different, uh, short, short term videos 
within literally five or six hours. <laughs> and the people that were there with, from our agency said they've never seen anyone do so much in so little time. That's in a true like talent. 20 years of uh, being advertising. So yeah, it's just one of those guys that you, you, you want to be around and you know, only makes you better with just their perspective and their mindset. That's great. That's absolutely great. Um, that's, uh, that's a special, th- there's, you know, you, you, you can't ever imagine that something like that would happen, but those moments that you get to work with folks who are excited about your product is, um, really, really cool. Um, some of the guys that we've gotten to work with, um, it's still a pinch me moment every time I get to do something fun with them or, um, get to shoot a commercial. Cause it, I mean, it's not, it's not the celebrity factor. That's cool. But for me, it's that these people have any number of things at their disposal and can make almost any choice they want with their time and what they do and that they're interested in working with, with us, regardless of the trade of, of what it means to work with us and, and how those deals are structured, but that they want to is, is a special, uh, is a special feeling. It, I, I, it's hard to put into words. Yeah. You know, but I, I totally agree to that point though. I think cause you guys have been around for about six, seven years as well. Yeah. We're, we're at uh, six years. So I think over time, you know who you are as a brand. So it's easier to figure out and gravitate towards those personalities that match the same values. And it's no accident that you guys work with Phil or JJ Watts and some of the people that you do. And I think when you have these brand values and company values, it, it just makes it things can move faster and the connection speed, you get comfortable faster. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from on top of the world with amazing ambassadors, let's go back to the beginning for a second. Um, in those first few years, you're, you're grinding along, trying to, um, do everything you can to sell every product and put everything into growing this company. I'm always curious to hear how long did you go, whether it's without a salary or, you know, you mentioned LA, these major cities, LA, New York, how long was it before you started to pay yourself something where you were able to no longer, you know, have all those American Express and Visa, those friends reaching out to you, reminding you of all that you owe them. I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, you know, I didn't take a salary for probably a little over two years. <clears throat> My wife, um, continued to help support us for the first year. So I was fortunate to have that. But even when I did take a salary, it was tiny, like not enough to live in New York city as by yourself, by any means. Yeah. Do you feel like that had an effect on your ability to live a call it somewhat peaceful existence? Um, all the challenges of a startup are one thing, another knowing the pressure that you have not to make long-term success, but to make it so that you don't end up in a very bad spot. Uh, I think so. You know, I think one of the best things that's happened to us is that fact that we did start during a recession in 2008 and it really forced us to look at every dollar, like it was our last dollar being spent. So as a business, we've, you know, we've been profitable every year as a business. We've always had to focus on being profitable and making money because of the time that we started and the way we started, you know, organized the business. And you know, when we moved to New York, it was very similar, you know, and it, looking back in hindsight, it's, you didn't realize maybe how bad it was or how tight money was or how close we were to maybe not making it because you're so focused and energized and uh, into the business. You don't really 
look around like, oh my gosh, we're in a 500 square foot apartment with two desks and a 110 pound Bernice Mountain Dog and mannequins and marketing <laughs> materials. You know, you, you just don't know what you don't know until you look back at pictures sometimes or friends are in town. They're like, man, do you remember when you guys had that really small place in Chelsea? And he's like, not until you just mentioned that. I kind of forgot about it and moved on. But Selective memory. For, yeah, for sure they were. But, you know, we never looked at it as a struggle. It was more so, you know, I've always immersed myself in books and reading about different entrepreneurs. And I just kind of felt it was all part of the part of the journey. So I embraced it. And, you know, I've always felt, you know, short term sacrifices will lead to more long term um, gains. And we were just always willing to put in the work and have faith in the business will one day have those breakthrough moments at some point in time. Yeah, I uh, I think back to those early years and my family, we gave them homemade soap for Christmas one year, and then uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, there were there were some homemade gifts for a couple years there, um, and they you know they were gracious and smiled and said how much they loved it, and um, I don't even know if it was safe to use, but it was uh, it was a gift we made, so it was from the heart. Um, <laughs> So you guys should do a, a surprise Christmas gift this year and give fake soap again. So, yeah, it's been a real tough year. <laughs> oh man, make them make them sweat a little bit. Um, <laughs> so as you think to making that leap into starting um, starting the company, you talked about um, the TV show and Donnie Deutsch, and and if he's listening, Donnie, you you clearly had a big impact on on not just the people you know, but the people you didn't know, and and the things that they started. But um, who most inspired you along the way? And and that can be um, a personal connection. It can be someone famous, somewhere in between. And and how do you feel they really made an impact on you beyond just a motivational quote? It's weird. So ever since I've been a kid, I've been interested in, in, in making money and having my own business from shoveling and snowblowing sidewalks to mowing businesses in the summer growing up. And, you know, my, my grandpa always said, find something you're passionate about. And that always really stuck with me. And as I graduated from college and worked in corporate America, I always thought, you know, one day an idea will come to me for a business idea, whether I'm, you know, 28 when it did or 38 or 48. And I'll take this, the skills that I acquire in corporate America and use them when I, when I start my business someday. So I always thought that. And, you know, the big idea really inspired me to kind of, you know, get off my butt and start moving. And I started looking for ideas that I could create that solved a personal problem I had. And I, I feel like when you create a problem that's personal to you, there's a level of authenticity that goes along with it. And I, you know, we didn't look for a market to disrupt and create a business and then design a product to fit into that market or business. We kind of did the other way where we created a product that solved my problem and we built a business and arguably a, a new segment or market within the, within the underwear market um, since. So it's really been a combination of things, um, you know, and I'm very fortunate to have, you know, I think too, since 2007, the wave of entrepreneurship has only gotten bigger mm-hmm. from Donnie arguably was maybe one of the bigger, you know, first, first the market with the big idea. And now, Shark Tank has really taken off with social media and just the digital age in general. I think there's never been more of an exciting time to be an entrepreneur. Um, So, yeah, my journey's definitely been different, but I would say there's been multiple inspirations along the way. Yeah, the... um 
it's it's been amazing to see the level of um, the level of adulation towards entrepreneurs is such a healthy evolution for our country that this is people so look up to entrepreneurs and it's not just because of um, you know the big checks that may come for some but because of the interest in building something and participating in it it's it's been really great and it's interesting to think about the impact that Donnie had in um, flowing into what Shark Tank has become and how Shark Tank is teaching everyone from little kids to their grandparents all about the fundamentals of entrepreneurship and um, such a positive, such a positive outcome for, um, or, or impact on so many different segments of society. For sure. And even platforms, you know, like this podcasts, um, I've just, I think they're a new platform where you can hear some of these more detail on the stories behind the companies, it, you know, that just didn't exist, you know, before. So like I said, I'm a um, huge fan of what you guys are doing for the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been a fun experience so far. Um, so there are no shortage of things that are out there to help people find their center, to stay sane, um, to stay above, um, you know, to stay above it all or, or thrive amidst the chaos. How would you say you have, uh, been able to stay sane? You mentioned the reality of having a meditation room is something that helps your culture. I'm not sure how much of that is you versus your culture um, or kind of your office life. What are the things that you do to stay sane? And I'm, I'm constantly evaluating, looking into those things. You know, I, I read somewhere that founders need, you know, some years they're a quarterback. The next year they have to learn how to be a professional ice skater. The next, they have to be, you know, become left-handed if they're right-handed. So your role is always changing. And I think this is the part, you know, the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur. You really have to find something that keeps you grounded. And I think since I've had kids, I've become more into routines. Just routine and schedules become really important. So, you know, I'm usually up around five or five thirty in the morning, and I would say five out of seven days a week, I'll do, you know, five or ten minute morning meditation. Um, oftentimes write in a gratitude journal and then I, I do some rebounding and then I go to the gym for an hour and then I take my daughter to school and then I come, come to the office. And that level of routine, you've obviously refined it over time. What were you doing before you had kids? Four kids, I would probably get up, you know, bust out an hour of emails, go to the gym and then go right to the office. Yep. And I think for me, it was always exercising the body more than anything. And I really focused on more of the mind body connection as I've gotten older and we've been longer in business and just picking up things, whether it's from you know, Tim Ferriss or Tony Robbins or other CEOs or founders or entrepreneurs that I've read up on that they found to be really uh, instrumental in their level of success. And, um, you know, I found some things that are working really well for me. And as, as far as I know, I'm I'm pretty sane at this moment. <laughs> you don't get to judge that, right? Um, but you're probably saying that from feedback from others, especially your wife and coworkers. Um, and I owe you uh, no shortage of thanks for um, sending me the Joe Rogan podcast with um, Matthew. And I, I cannot remember his last name, but he calls himself the sleep ambassador scared the 
absolute crap out of me around sleeping habits and the long-term effects of not getting enough sleep. Um, I, I, I think you sent it to me because you follow me on Instagram and I post, um, just random, random moments and, and, um, things throughout my week. And it's usually one or two days a week. I'll post my productivity planner and that it's five o'clock in the morning. And, um, I don't know what sparked you to send it to me, but you, you changed my routine to where I'm going to sleep much earlier than I used to. And it's had a very meaningful impact on my ability to stay sane and, and hopefully not get Alzheimer's when I'm older now too. I, hey, Angel, it's great to hear that. <laughs> that was my biggest fear too. You know, a lot of the, these people that he spoke to were incredible, amazing, brilliant minds, but, you know, led to things like Alzheimer's and would just scared the heck out of me. Yep. And, you know, like I, I love to sleep, but at the same time, I think if I would have slept more, I don't know if our business would be where it is today at the same time. So definitely a, a level of conflict there too. Yeah. And also absolutely terrifying knowing how sleep deprived doctors regularly are. And it's all because of that idiot from Johns Hopkins who started the residency <laughs> program almost a hundred years ago, um, who, who did it almost as a competition, according to this guy, at least. Um, I'm taking that as gospel. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but it, it was on the Joe Rogan podcast. So it must be true. It's scary. If I ever needed an operation, I'll probably be known as asking more questions than anyone else about sleep <laughs> or the surgeon before. Yes, indeed. Um, so on a, on a fun note, if everything would be okay while you're gone, what would you do for a month away from it all? And that can be with your kids. It can be halftime. It can be away from the kids. Um, but you get a month to go do anything and you don't have to worry about your business. I think if it was the summer, I'd go surfing with somewhere, somewhere with consistent surf. I love to surf, picked it up in California. Uh, it was winter. I'd probably go two weeks skiing and two weeks surfing. Awesome. Cause it's cold in New York and I want some warm weather, warm water at the same time. I'm not sure if this is one of those things that you just notice something more once you see it the first time, but I started seeing more and more of these big wave surfers and um, I follow a bunch of them on Instagram and it is absolutely mind blowing seeing what some of these guys are doing out at, uh, I think it's called Chofu in French Polynesia and Nazare in Portugal. I don't ever want to do that, but I really now want to go watch it because it looks absolutely insane. Are you a big wave surfer or are you a small to medium wave surfer? Um, I'm more of a small to medium wave surfer. I, I, I've never... I mean, when you see that stuff, it looks like a little pin dot on a, on a huge wave. And you think if you see some of those movies up close, you have no idea how close these guys, these guys are to death. But if there's a great movie recommended, um, I just watched the Leonard Hamilton movie called take every wave. Okay. And he, he introduced big wave surfing. It's kind of that pioneer of it in Hawaii and the stuff that they did figuring out how to evolve it to where it is today. It's it's a miracle that guy is alive today with the stuff he did and the risk he take and just the way he thinks about risk is fascinating. Yeah. It's uh, it absolutely terrifying thinking of what some of those guys have gone through. And um, I, I see again, some of these posts where they say, you know, whatever his name is, John almost died today, but man, what a great wave. And it's just so it's just stated so casually and that's just a part of what they do. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a different, <laughs> different world, different mindset to yeah, wrap around your, wrap different your head around. World. So back to personal life. Um, 
obviously you talked about the kind of sacrifices early on um, from a financial perspective and um, certainly put some of the things in your life on hold to get the business going. What would you say your biggest sacrifice over the last 10 years has been in building Tommy John to where it is today? You know, we, we really didn't have a personal life. I would say the first six, maybe seven years, you know, I think you, you sacrifice time spent with family, friends. Uh, I really have no hobbies outside of surfing, you know, a couple times a year now, now skiing a little bit, but there were really no hobbies other than, than Tommy John. I would say the last two to three years since I've become a dad, I've really made uh, an effort to spend my time differently, you know, from working out less, sleeping more efficiently, like, like we talked about, um, basically cutting out TV uh, and saying, honestly saying no almost as much as our 18-month-old son, you know, and <laughs> also I would say making plans further out than I ever had before, you know, because time is so precious and it seems like time just goes into almost like back's podcast speed when you have kids and a second one just accelerates it even more. Um, but it's, it's really just, you know, spending more time up front, determining how you're going to spend your time has definitely made it much easier because you don't have that time you had earlier when you started the business when you didn't have kids. Yeah. And we know we obviously love our kids and want to be involved as much as we can. So, um, definitely been a change in mindset what in the world did we do with our time before we had kids it feels like it feels like i wish i could go back and shake myself with all of the free time that i used to have breaking bad i would say that was my one vice before kids <laughs> that's fair that's fair mine was uh mine was whether it was lost or one of those i didn't watch much network tv it's just something on netflix um Never, never did Breaking Bad. I need to eventually find time to do it. Maybe in about ten years. Yeah. Um, so on that journey, there was a moment uh, or two that you probably felt something that things really were starting to click or some pop. What What would you pinpoint as a moment or two where you really felt like things started to change for the business? Man, I, I mean, I honestly still feel like it hasn't come. Yeah, I think as a brand, we always have the mindset that the best is yet to come and something will change us drastically in a positive way in the future. But I think looking back, if I had name a couple, I would say Nima Marcus for us, getting into wholesale, getting into an amazing retailer like that in 2009, with really no one knowing who we were, um, was a big opportunity, opportunity for us. And then um, in 2014, Howard Stern, radio personality ended up getting a pair of our underwear talked about how sexy it made him feel on his radio show. And, and that really started to accelerate our online business in a different way. And we found a new channel to market underwear in a way that had never been done before through audio and people listening in their cars. And, you know, we've taken those learnings and, and evolved the business from there. In getting that, change of, you know, trying audio, uh, and, and doing something totally different. You and I were talking a little bit earlier about some new channels that you're working on and doing it in a different way. You're obviously taking that inspiration of trying to do something different. Um, what, what have you done recently, um, to test a new channel? Would love to hear a little bit more about that. I mean, I think we're always testing, you know, if we're not, if we're not testing in the 
if we're not failing, it doesn't mean we're testing things enough. And, it, you know, for us as a brand, a lot of these new channels, sometimes you're too early. Sometimes you hit it just right. Um, for us, it's, it's probably the same you know, everyone else has from digital to social, Facebook, Instagram, podcast, radio. We're starting to do TV, uh, direct mail. And there's not... It, the silver bullets that are out there, no one really talks about because they're still silver. And I think for us, we're always just looking for things that can enhance the business and allow it to continue to grow in an efficient way. But it really goes back to one of our core values being ballsy and and restless. And we've always, ballsy for us is kind of doing things that not everyone else does that may be perceived as risky and also relates to the category that we're in, underwear. Um, but, you know, for us, we... We, we always want to be failing and testing and that's just part of the business today is it's moving so quickly and things that work today don't work tomorrow and things that don't work today work great tomorrow. It's There's a level of predictability but also a high level of unpredictability because of algorithms and other factors that can influence it. Yep. So it's, it's, it's obviously complex and frustrating but it's also very exciting at the same time. Yeah, you're not going to be doing the same thing in two years at all, let alone maybe even a year from now. So yeah, I, I hope not. when you think about those changes and how exciting that is, you're 10 years in most businesses don't even come close to surviving 10 years. Um, so hearty congratulations for that. And having raised one round of capital, you are in a rare, you are in rare air for the success you found, especially in a product based business. But where do you see your, your business in 10 years? That's a good question. I think we read somewhere before the 10 year anniversary party that only 4% of companies have made it, make it 10 years. So um, we're obviously very proud of that. But now the next 10 years, the goal is really to be, to be one of the next iconic global brands that redefines the way brands operate in the 21st century. And, you know, we don't want to be the next Ralph Lauren. We don't want to be the next Nike. We really want to be the first Tommy John and do it in a different, unique way that's authentic to us. And I think in this digital age that we're in, the opportunities to become global are much different than 10 or 20 years ago, but it's also complicated at the same time. So um, 10 years is really not that long for a brand. I think in the heavily funded environment that we're in today, a lot of brands try to do in two or three years what a lot of brands historically have done in 10 years. And we look at the brands like Patagonia, Nike, Lululemon, um, they've been built over decades and they've made a lot of, a lot of moves and made a lot of decisions that have more of a long-term effect versus immediate gratification. So we've really tried to balance all perspectives when we think about where we want to be in the next 10 years. It's a very, very healthy attitude and one that I'm coming, coming around to more and more every day. There are you and I, again, we're talking earlier about other, um, other brands that kind of pop and the reality is um, the ones that you and I look up to, even though we don't want to be that brand per se, takes a very long time to get there. If they're going to be a long-term sustainable brand, it's going to be out there for a long time. So um, you have an incredible sense of perspective and and you are uh, very healthy and according to yourself and hopefully your wife, you're, you're doing, you're sane. But if you could look back and, and, and go back and tell yourself one thing from the very beginning, uh, 
you really wish that you could have told Tom in 2008 this, what would it be? Uh, follow your gut. You know, I think following your gut's really important and the longer you're in business and you're staying in business, you know when you made the wrong decision because looking back at hindsight, how you felt at that moment, you're, something just felt wrong in your gut. You couldn't explain it. Maybe data couldn't support it, but potentially some outside influence or somebody you spoke to kind of changed your mindset. And I think that's the one thing is maybe the gut bacteria should get stronger and stronger if your company is becoming bigger and more successful. And that's the one thing is if you're, I found at least for, for us as me is my gut doesn't lie. Do you have one moment in particular that is most painful for you to look back and say, I didn't trust my gut here? We worked with an agency at one point who put together a, a branding package and it just never really felt right for us, what they presented and the tone of voice and the brand guidelines and the way we should speak and the way we should shoot our photography. They just weren't really grasping who we are, what we wanted and the way that we wanted to, I guess, act as a brand. Yep. We spent a lot of money, at least at the time, it was a lot of money, it was a lot of time spent and we got this brand book that was delivered and didn't do anything with it. I just never wanted to put it in the market. It didn't feel right as a brand, you know, so we, you know, we bit our tongue and we waited another year and we brought in a head of brand and did our rebrand in-house, breathing Tommy John oxygen, um, and really made it organic and, and, and we ended up getting some amazing work. And I think that really was one of the defining times of the brand because I think in hindsight, had we, implemented that brand um, guidance into the market. I'm not sure if we would be the brand that we are today. Um, oh. But during the time, you know, we, like I said, the regret was we spent a lot of time and money doing that. And the way I look at it is actually, it's probably maybe one of the best exercises we could have gone through because it really made us the defining moment and who we were and what we wanted to be. And we had to be patient because we had to pause things for a year to make sure it was right. Yep. And that's one of the toughest things that I think at certain points, entrepreneurs maybe get advice from a perceived expert or someone that knows the market really well because of what they've done. And, and you can, you can kind of see maybe what happens with those brands at certain points when you look back and just, just don't want to be one of those brands. Wow. That's uh it's amazing to think there are decisions that we make along the way that really can change everything. And, and it, Oftentimes could be, oh, you missed out on this opportunity to sponsor this somebody or do something big, but those small things that aren't necessarily directly tied to revenue or to costs, but, but the core of who you are, the effect of that is really hard to, to put into words. Um, we took us a while for us to, I think, be as intentional as we were about our internal core values. And, and I think, as you said, you know, that 25 person sweet spot is, is super critical, but, um, really dialing into the core of who we are of a brand in the last two years in a, in a, in a bigger and bigger way, I think has helped, helped us say no, as you talked about earlier, say no to a lot of things and be, be very comfortable with making the decisions about what we say yes to as well. That's a great point. I think you have a profile and a checklist of things that have to be in place. And I'm sure you guys are, but we're also very selective about the retail partners that we have and how they're going to re represent the brand to make sure it's positioned in a way that's authentic to us. And I think that there's so many benefits of going through that exercise that I didn't realize 
at the time. So, um, continuing that thought for a second, um, you said, you know, tell yourself, go and trust your gut. And I asked you if there was a key moment, this, this might be the answer to this question, but do you have a single biggest regret ever of, of not saying no to something earlier or green lighting something you shouldn't have, or how you had a relationship, um, kind of transpire over time? What's your biggest regret in the Tommy John journey? I think not following my gut more often, but I, the way I look at regrets or failures is they're, they're just priceless learnings that are part of, part of the, the journey that make you better as long as you don't make the same mistake twice or three times. But I think it, I had to choose one. Uh, it would be launching women's earlier. I think as a company, as a brand, we didn't know how big the demand was going to be for, for women's intimates and underwear and loungewear that we launched in April. And it took off much faster than we anticipated. And being in business for 10 years, we thought we had a pretty good understanding um, but that's been a, a very pleasant surprise for the for the business that I think yeah. maybe we wish we had done maybe a year or two earlier. We just didn't feel like it was the time, but it, it certainly was. So it's been going well. Does it still surprise you every day? So far, yes. Good, good and bad surprises. <laughs> but for, for the for the for the most part, good. The yeah. bad ones are more about you know uh, FOMO, yes, or related to demand and yeah. more than anything. Such a hard balance to strike. So, um, what brings you joy every day? I would say it's a little things, you know, seeing my kids wake up every day, uh, exercising, being able to work with my wife, um, people at Tommy John, you know, I think the people you work with is so important. I think myself and maybe many, many people listening to this, we've all worked in office environments that you just didn't get along with someone or you, you had to take the long way around the office because you didn't want to interact with them. And we just, we never wanted to have a work environment like that. So I think, you know, life is too short to spend time with people that don't bring you joy. And, and how do you minimize that and maximize the ones who do bring you joy? It's a very healthy perspective and switching gears from a very wonderful answer. What is your most embarrassing professional moment? And so I've, I've listened to this on your podcast before and thought a little bit about it. So <laughs> uh, in, t- in 2008, when I was living in San Diego, my wife asked me, I'm like, I'm leaving now. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to do a photo shoot. And she said, for what? And I said, our, our, our packaging. So I was, I was a model on our first edition of our undershirt packaging. And we hadn't developed underwear yet. So I, I knew nothing about underwear or image quality or resolution or got photo guidelines. <laughs> and the, I think I the know way where this the is underwear going. looked, yeah, the way the underwear looked were, were, were embarrassing to say the least. It, uh, it literally looked like the pouch area had elephantitis and they were mangled <laughs> and stretched out. And Unfortunately, the packaging is still circulating and haunts me to this day when people in the office remind it or, or holding it in a meeting, going through different packaging designs. So I, hey, you got to do what you got to got to do when you're setting out. Yeah, do literally anything. The one thing I'm very happy I've never done is be in one of our shoots. Um, I also no one's asked, so there's that. But um, I uh, I hope that someone in your company listening to this podcast finds a way to be that picture, that package from 
many years ago for Halloween this year for the office Christmas party or the office holiday party. That would be, um, whether it's that or for <laughs> Halloween, something you got to do it. Uh, so Tommy John team members, the challenge has been raised. Um, so. <laughs> have they done that the office with you with your, uh, midriff dress shirt that I saw? Uh, no, no, no one has been brave enough to don the midriff dress shirt, um, or the half to tuck it dress shirt, although that's still hanging on my coat rack. Um, that's the four foot long dress shirt. And then, uh, the, the most I've gotten, uh, riffed on is I, I do it now for fun, but also there's a little bit of spite in there. Um, I take a picture every time I fly and I do hashtag view from plane windows. And it started out cause I just really love flying. And I think there's really beautiful kind of scenery, obviously amongst the clouds. And, uh, the team started giving me a little bit of grief for it. And, uh, I was like, okay, well now I'm going to take one every time I fly. And, uh, we came in, was it last year? I can't even remember. It was last year, the year before, um, for a big internal initiative and everybody, was wearing a shirt with my face on it on the front and on the back they picked out 30 different uh hashtag view from plane window pictures and printed it so everyone had a kevin view from plane windows t-shirt um on for that day that that's the biggest and and boldest prank that i've had played on me with respect to uh, a little bit of a little bit of disrespect to the ceo That's really good. I know, I know you, we've both spent a lot of time on airplanes, but that's, uh, yeah, that's great. So, um, rounding out here, do you want to do, you said you want to be not the next Ralph Lauren or the next Nike, but the first Tommy John, do you want to do this forever or, um, based on your interest in, you know, solving a, a very real problem that you see, do you see yourself trying to do something else as well down the road? You know, it's, it's such an exciting time to be doing what we're doing. I say wake up every day just excited to come to work. And I think as a business, we feel like we have so many ideas for growth and the runway is still, still long for us with what we're doing, what we plan on doing that I'm at a point now. I, it's hard to imagine doing anything else. So I would say right now in this arguably same moment I'm, I'm in, I, I can't imagine doing anything else other than this. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you said, it's a special time to be doing this, but also I've heard from, from mentors of mine and other people who've started to run businesses. Once you do something like this, it's really hard to ever do anything else. Um, it's your, uh, it's such a special experience to build something and, and be able to build a team and a culture and a community and, and the, the kind of passionate fans of the product and then the regular users. And once you have all of this, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine anything professionally could be better. So I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. So no, I'd be, a, I'd be a horrible employee at this point. Yeah. Without doubt. I would not do not too well. Um, closing out, how, uh, how do you want to be remembered as you think about Tom, the entrepreneur, Tom, the father, Tom, the mentor, Tom, the leader, uh, when you think about being remembered for what you do, uh, obviously a lot of it is of your life is defined by, um, much more important things in family, but you're also very much defined by the fact that you're building this company and you have 80 plus employees and thousands of stores and, and employees across the country that sell your product and they're involved. You have a wide impact on a lot of people. How do you want to be remembered? I guess it's you know, someone that, uh, 
comfortably you know, carried themselves with, with integrity, with honor in, in all facets of their life, you know, from being a, a dad to a husband, to a brother, son, a, a leader, a friend, you know, and inspiring others to find something they're passionate about. You know, you mentioned earlier the age of entrepreneurship that, you know, I really think there's no better country in the world to be an entrepreneur than the United States. People move here from all over the world to start businesses. And I've been fortunate enough to travel all over the world for, for this business. And I never have more gratitude or feel happier to land in the U.S. And I'm always so grateful for being born here because so many, many aren't. And I've always had the mindset, take advantage of it. It's, it's really a, a blessing to be, to, to be in the U.S., to, to be an, op, an entrepreneur in this day and age with technology and communication. It's just, it's very exciting, at least it is for me. Um, I think that I'm always thinking about how I can evolve and change and improve. And it's always been my mindset. So someone, I think looking back at some, someone that was maybe a pioneer in some of these things that have gone, we have gone through, um, during our lifetime. Very much agreed. Wonderful. Well, um, that was an awesome Awesome recap, and we've known each other for a couple of years, and and I love so much about this podcast experience, but also very much so getting to go a little bit deeper. Um, so appreciate the the time on on the serious stuff. But before I let you escape, we have rapid fire up next. So uh, as a reminder, just the first thing that comes to mind on this, um, and whatever answer you want to do is <laughs> is good here. Don't don't try and dig in too deep. So, um, how many hours of sleep do you get a night? Uh, seven, seven to nine. Good. You're listening to that, that, uh, that sleep ambassador that you turned me on to. Um, what would you use the gene editing technology CRISPR for? To, to do more and sleep less. Do more and sleep less. I don't know what gene that is, but I, I agree. What is your favorite fiction and nonfiction book? Favorite fiction book would be, uh, Purple Cow. Nonfiction book would be Shoe Dog. Good choices. I absolutely love Shoe Dog. I've given that book to probably 50 people. Good answers. What is your daily music playlist theme? I'm listening to uh, a Tony Robbins event playlist on Spotify. <laughs> and, and it's the music from that event? It's the music from that event. Okay. It's actually... From, you know, literally Eminem to Bruno Mars, um, energetic, exciting. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great, great music to listen to. Have you ever Very met nice. Tony in person? I, I've not. Have you? No, I've, I've heard it. So it's a quite an experience. Um, all right. So uh, wake up and wind down. Drink of choice. Water. Well, I drink a lot, a lot of water. I'm on the Tom Brady uh, hydration plan right now so you're exhausted and you need to wake up and you're like hey i'll have a glass of water so i do that and a, a rebounding so i talked about that earlier I, I jump on a trampoline for 10 minutes every morning start moving uh the lint in my, in my body yeah i can send you some stuff on it but I, I drink 20 ounces of water i jump on a trampoline with music for 10 minutes and it's literally my equivalent of a cup of coffee that i've been is... doing it for about three months now that is something you're going to need to live stream that on your Instagram or, or something along those lines. 
Well, maybe we'll FaceTime it next time and I'll give you a little, a little demo. Um, so, and then wind down, you can't jump on a trampoline at a bar. So what are you drinking at a bar? Um, I would usually go with, uh, an old fashioned or an IPA. Excellent. What would your last meal be? In and out. I would do a triple double and a chocolate milkshake. Man, that'd be good right now. Uh, pet peeve. People that chew with their mouth open, like they're a character on the Simpsons dinner table. Yep. My wife has nearly murdered me for such offenses. Um, what is your favorite podcast other than obviously founders 15? Oh man, that's a tough one. I, I, I have a lot of it in my rotation. Um, from Tim Ferriss to, to Ed Milet, uh, business wars is a recent one, which I've been listening to. Um, yours is now in the rotation. I love what you're doing. Um, it, I'm always looking for something new, but I have those, as I would say, for my, my go-to subscribes where I listen to pretty much every download. Awesome. I just, just, uh, Nate check has just turned me on to business wars and it is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm very, very glad I got turned on to that. They should turn that into a movie series. Really? I would love to be a fly on the wall in that. Yeah. And some of those, uh, there was that, um, I think on history channel a number of years ago called the men who built America. Um, and it was Rockefeller, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, uh, really, really unique show, um, about the, whatever it is, six or seven, um, Titans of the turn of the century and, um, really enjoyed that. Have you seen that? No, I have not. So think, think business wars, but on history channel with, um, focus on Carnegie, Rockefeller and, and Vanderbilt and those guys, I think Henry Ford was in there as well. So definitely recommend that. Um, what is your Very Amazon cool. percent of spend household spend on a monthly basis? The answer is no clue. My wife orders most of the stuff on Amazon, but, uh, we, we get way too many Amazon packages in our building. Way too many with two kids. Yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely a multiple packages daily. Yeah, absolutely. 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 You need that. Um, what TV show? I think the answer is Breaking Bad, but what TV show could you watch over and over again? Oh, a TV show? That's a tough one. Oh, this include a Netflix series or more? Sure. Yeah, whatever mm-hmm. you want. I would say, well, uh, say Game of Thrones right now. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, what is your favorite article of clothing? Underwear. <laughs> of your multiple options and, and offerings, what is your favorite pair of Tommy John underwear? We just came out with something last June um, that sold out, but it's coming back uh, in October. It's a hybrid of our second skin and air fabrics. Okay. I'm not sure which one you have, but I it's the softest have... of the soft. The... I think I've got a couple of each. I don't remember. I think, uh, oh my God. Yeah. Got Tommy John on right now. I'm not sure what I'm wearing though. Second skin times there. It's combining both is, is my favorite. And what's, uh, for those casual listeners who aren't yet rabid Tommy John customers, what's the difference between second skin and air? Uh, second skin is it's a natural fiber derived from the beechwood tree. It's micro model, but it's five times softer than cotton, just as breathable. <clears throat> Feels silky to the hand. Our air fabric um, weighs two ounces. You can wash and dry in the sink. It dries in less than two hours. It's antimicrobial, moisture wicking. 
So second skin times air. Did that just come out or when is it coming out? It came out in June, sold out too quickly and it's coming back uh, first part of October. Awesome. I will be hitting refresh in early October. Um, cardio, you love it or hate it? I hate it. Good, good answer. Hate, hate cardio. Good answer. Would you rather fight off 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? So I thought a lot about this after listening. So my, my strategy is I would go for the 100-pound duck. I'd shoot for the legs, get it off balance, and ride it like the dragon in Game of Thrones. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, that's the best answer so far. What is your favorite destination to travel to? Right now it's split between Telluride, Colorado and Barbados. Excellent. And then, uh, last question. What is the best gift that you have ever received? That may sound cliche, but, but my wife. I don't know if that's cliche, but that is a damn good answer. So we'll, we'll definitely allow that. <laughs> um, so, uh, we forgot to chime in on this earlier and that's my fault as a bad host, but, um, people are interested in Tommy John products, men or women, where can they go get Tommy John? Uh, tommyjohn.com has the biggest selection. You can go to our two stores in Philadelphia and South Park Mall in Charlotte. You can find us at Nordstrom, Men's Warehouse, Bloomingdale's, Dillard's, um, and other specialty stores across the country. Excellent. And then if people want to stay in touch with you, uh, what, what's the best way for someone to, uh, to follow along the Tommy John journey? Uh, at Tommy John, where W E A R is our handle for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much everything. And how about yours? Uh, my Instagram handle is TJ Pat, TJ P A T T E. Instagram is probably the one I'm most, most yeah, I just pulled up your Twitter. You're uh, you're a little lackadaisical on the Twitter. I think it's been almost four years there. So we'll stick with the Instagram. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, really appreciative of your time to come and uh, share some of your experiences. I hope people uh, learned quite a bit from it, and now they can be ready to hit refresh for the launch of uh, relaunch of this awesome new product in October. And uh, look forward to seeing you on, a, on our next visit up to New York. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks, Ben. Likewise. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle. And you can also go to founders15.com for show notes and other episodes. Thank you. Thank you.